Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Book Journeys Radio, an interview series for authors in transformation. From the basic fundamentals of selecting a book topic and overcoming writer's block to advanced techniques for publishing and marketing your books. Don't forget to check out our complete schedule and archive shows at blogtalkradio.com forward slash book dash journeys. Now, get ready to make a difference with your book with your host, founder of the Author Incubator, Dr. Angela Loria. Well, hey, everybody. We are back again at Book Journeys Radio. And this week, like every week on the show, we are talking about how to overcome the obstacles of writing your book, get it done, get it out there, and get it in the world, changing lives. And our guest today is no stranger to that process. Um, She has written three books uh, on very different topics. And um, she has really used the power of books um, throughout throughout at least the last decade Um, and being able to connect with people with her message at a number of levels and in some really creative and surprising ways. So I am excited to introduce to you the author of Sex, Lies, and Creativity, Julia Roberts. So hi, Julia. Hi, Angela. It's fun to be here. Thanks. So um, I want to start with your latest book, Sex, Lies, and Creativity, and wanting to tell people what is that book about and who is it for? Okay, so I've always been creative. I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, but it's very hard to understand your own creativity and what it's good for, what it's what it's not good for, because all you really notice or see are the places where you kind of bump up against what it's not good for. Like, I'm not a good artist. I'm a good writer, you know. And um, Mm -hmm. one thing I've often seen in the world is that there are, that girls and boys are equally creative. And this came to to me, too, in research. It was definitely reinforced with the research I did. But men and women are not equally produced, published, awarded. You know, their creativity is not out there in anywhere near the quantities that men's creativity is out there. And it's not hard to explain that we've all seen mad men we've seen how women have been kept down or whatever over you know generations and decades and centuries but i was kind of tired of hitting that door and i wanted to see are there other reasons that women's creativity is not getting out in the world and are there other ways therefore possibly to enhance creativity for men and women in the workplace are we accidentally chilling creativity so i did the research in what it takes to be creative, and what our gender differences are. And then this book is the combination of those two and opens that discussion. Are there ways that we're accidentally chilling each other's creativity, and are there ways that we could be enhancing it Mm. by having better empathy for the opposite gender? So that's really where this book came to be. Master's study. (laughs) Yes, that's true. This is my master's research, and then... It is so it is a little bit academic, but it's definitely written for regular people, people who are trying to enhance creativity in the workplace and people who are trying to enhance or understand their own creativity at home because they're writers or they're right. artists or they're dancers or whatever. Mhm. Right. So, um so with this book, what who are you trying who are you most trying to reach with this book? Why not just keep it in the academic realm? I know this was a version of your of your master's thesis. 
why did you want it to leave the academic realm? Absolutely wanted to make sure that um, what I went in there to learn, what I had a nagging need to know about creativity, could get shared with people who have – creativity is a little compulsive. You have a need to write. You have a strong desire to um, do what you need to do, painting, whatever it is. So not understanding why that's not working is extremely frustrating and a lot of pain, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of self-blame. So I really wanted to make sure that um, what I came to understand about creativity got out into the world. And then what I came to understand about the gender differences in creativity, I think it's really important that we start to make sure that women in the workplace, and men in the workplace for that matter, do not cancel each other out and get to the place where the creativity is chilled by one another's presence. We're working more and more in teams for innovation. And I just want to make sure that people could really come to understand this this how creativity works and what we're doing that is wrecking it or boosting it. Awesome. So you've written uh, you've written a couple other books as well. I know um, in the past, what were some of the lessons from your first two books that you wrote um, that influenced maybe some things you did differently with this book? So um, my first book was just a a romp. It was a fun book I wrote about my family's trip across country. I used my children's diaries and my own. It was called RV There Yet, A Cross-Country Cautionary Tale. And it was just funny and fun. And I really wrote it for friends first and then published it uh, in the tradition, in the um, self-publishing realm, Book Surge. And, you know, since I was always wanted to be an author, I also just dug into that in, from a marketing point of view and got myself sponsors got put on the road by Magellan, who was my uh, my big publicity sponsor, used their publicity department, got on TV 20 times. You know, <laughs> it was Amazing. just like cutting I my teeth. <laughs> so I was just cutting my teeth in the in the book department. It was my first book, and I just thought, I'm, I'm going to be an author. Let's, let's figure this stuff out. So I did it on a very low-stakes writing, in my opinion. Um, it's fun. It's funny. People love it. Then um, my second book was coming out from a traditional publisher, which I don't know, brought with it all sorts of different stories in my head. <laughs> so I didn't do anywhere near as well promoting it. Plus, I didn't know where my promotion obligation well, was and where theirs was. I want to go back to the stories. Hold on. What were the yeah. stories in your head? Were they like, I'm successful now, I have a traditional publisher, so I don't have to do any of the work? What, what were some of the stories? Oh, uh, well, you would think, but I'm... Um, I'm a self-flagellator. So, okay. um, so my stories are more like, oh, my God, I didn't earn out of my advance. I'm horrible. Mm-hmm. I owe them. They don't want to hear from me. I'm a failure. I didn't know that 90% of people don't earn out of their advance. Right. Um, I don't. That number's not scientific, I don't know, but I just might, most people don't earn out of their advance. Right. But I felt it's, guilty yeah. and horrible that I hadn't earned back the, the advance for them. Like that was just mm. wrong in my opinion. Like I owed them that money back. Um, mm. Also, I had incredible imposter syndrome. I was certain that like the police would be banging down my door and saying, "You know, who do you think you are?" You know, I actually felt uh-huh. like hiding. <laughs> um, wow. You know, it was the authority thing. Like, like I felt felt certain that whatever I said would be questioned and challenged and 
you know, push back and I would I, I just felt like I couldn't stand um I couldn't I wouldn't be able to bear that scrutiny that because I am a fraud. It was my thought. You know, mm. I am just cuz it was a ama- so this book was called Motherhood to Otherhood. And mm. um it was published by uh Running Press, which is an imprint of Perseus Books. And um basically it was a very unique an original thought, the idea that if you had three pregnancies or two pregnancies in your life, you had the right to however many unpregnancies, nine months in your life when you just focused on yourself and your brainchild. And you mm. brought to it all the lessons you learned from pregnancy. So put your feet up, say no to certain things, bring in a professional, all the things that you do naturally when you're pregnant. Um, if you did that for yourself, that same little dedication, you read every little everything on the subject of burping or nursing or, you know, Braxton Hicks contractions. (laughs) If you brought that dedication to your brainchild for nine months long, you could do it. You could have a book. You could lose the weight. You could almost anything, right? Yeah. So so that was my original idea. It's not like I stole that idea from anybody, but I felt like a fraud constantly. (laughs) It just is what it is. So I will say I've really learned. Was that different with sex, size, and creativity? 100%, 1,000%. One hundred percent, a thousand percent. Okay, so let's talk about that. What changed? Well, so I no longer quote unquote wanted to be an author. Mm. I wanted to serve my reader, and that's a huge shift. I wanted to make sure my reader had access to this information that I didn't think other people were writing and presenting. So huge difference, right? It's not me with my little baby idea saying, please love me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's it's 100% turnaround where I'm just saying, I hope this helps you. Yeah, and it's interesting because when you talk about RV there yet, um, you had a lightness to it, right? It was like, oh, it was this fun little romp, you know. Yes. All Mm -hmm. good. If people liked it, if they didn't like it, I kind of wrote it for friends and family, like, you know, it was a pretty light energy when you talked about it. But when mm-hmm. you talk about your second book, it was like all of a sudden you're a fraud when, you know, it, who else could have written it that was more I qualified? don't know. Really, I don't know. Maybe it was just because I had a publisher and an agent and I was completely unsure of that relationship as to, you know, you're signing contracts and you're not sure what that means in terms of, am I allowed to have a website without asking? Am I allowed to have a workbook without right. asking? I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, and, you know, they also, you publish, self-publish, you don't indemnify anybody. You indemnify right. your publisher and things that, you know, that you have the right to say this, that, and the other. And, you know, it's just, you are you have no real advocate, it feels like. You don't really know mm. what you're getting into. But all mm. of that said, yes, there are, it's trepidatious in certain ways and all that's true, but my little psyche supplied a solid 95% of that, uh, maybe 5% wow. of it was uncertainty of some, of some nature that I yeah. could have gotten information about. And huh. it could have just been a time of life thing. So what's the advice there? If somebody does have that feeling of being a fraud or if they have any of the kind of negative feelings you talked about with your second book, if you had to do it all over again, what what advice would you be giving yourself now? I would say get a coach who can help uh, you. I would. I, You know, I started training as a coach almost immediately after that book was published. 
And that's the only way I managed to come out of that deep trough of fear and distrust, you know, um, and guilt. I had guilt mm. because I wrote a book for people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, God, can you, the audacity of me? But, um, <laughs> you know, so you're laughing, I would say, but I will tell you the thing you're talking about is actually what stops so many people consciously or subconsciously from actually writing it. So the yes, fact I agree that you with you. Did it that you pushed yourself through this is like incredible bravery. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank but you. Then you also sort of probably managed to keep that message from as many people as humanly possible. <laughs> no fooling. Yes, I really stepped on it. Therefore, and this is why publishers yeah. do. I mean, publishers do want you to come back for a second and third book because your first book. You know, it may or may not be your best writing. That's, you know, for posterity to decide. But it is not your best presence. Mm. You know, it can't be almost. You really just have to get over your little ego fears, get out. I mean, the difference between book two and book three is really a question of ego. I don't Mm. really care if somebody questions my right or ability to write sex, lies, and creativity because that's just not why I wrote it. I didn't write it to prove myself to anybody. You know? Yeah. So different. So, so different. It's a, it's a, it's enormously different. So in in a rewrite of um, Motherhood to Otherhood, every change that was requested by my editor or whatever, I was like, oh, my God, did I do that badly? What does she mean? Oh, she's ironing out my jokes. I hate that. You know, it's just a constant <laughs> little diatribe. In a rewrite of, of uh, Sex, Lies, and Creativity, it was just like, what else can I bring to them? What else? You know what I mean? Like, it's so reader-focused. I was so reader-focused. It really just had to do with, is that really playing out plainly? Do they really need that? Is this really adding to? It's just a completely different headset. And somebody would have had to have taken me by the hand and pulled me out of the dark room and walked me to the bright room and said, here, focus on the reader. (laughs) Mm -hmm. In a way that I would have believed. Because at the time I would have felt like, well, duh, shut up. Oh, my God, does the reader think I'm dumb? You know? creativity women in their 50s and i'm in my 50s have um a new period of creativity they just 51 and a half is the average for menopause and that in perimenopause and menopause you go from what christian northrup calls alternating current to direct current you stop having Mm. progesterone which is sort of the needy little hormone that causes us all to um worry about stupid things and you start having constant estrogen and, and tes- testosterone. And even though our testosterone drops in our old age the same as men, it's proportionally higher in our 50s than it's ever been since since about age 9 or 10, whenever you started what they call menarche, the onset of men- menopause. At any rate, all that to say that in your 50s, you do have a lightning. There is um, an opening, and it is a huge creative opening that is underexploited, under-understood, and and not anticipated by women, they feel restless and kind of um, sometimes foolish because they have this new sense of I'd like to fill in the blank, something big. Yeah. And their husband yeah. wants to retire and sit in rocking chairs on the porch. We're just developmentally different at that age. And so 
that's why I was saying it's a little bit possibly about my age. I was in my 40s when I wrote Motherhood to Otherhood. I was uh, in my early 50s when I wrote Sex, Lies, and Creativity. So mm-hmm. there's a, there's definitely, this, they call it the mommy veil, the lifting of the mommy veil. Um, you just have a significantly less other drivenness that's created yeah. hormonally and chemically. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So let's talk for a little bit about um, you've written three books. You've had ideas for others that didn't come to fruition. Um, what do you think is the difference between a book that gets finished and sees the light of day and, um, you know, the books that so many of us start and don't finish? Hmm. I don't know that I start books and don't finish them, but, I, you know, maybe there's a a laugh track somewhere going, you're kidding me, right? I do have a novel in the drawer. It's that finished. That was the one I was referring to. Uh, it's finished, so but I've, um, finished, but I've, and, but I carefully and considerately decided not to take that further. Yeah, so what's the, so why? And And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing, but, like, you know, when, it's a good when thing. You see, I think it taught me how to write a novel. That, okay. I'm listening. I think one of the things that stops people is they don't know if it's good enough. Like, how do I know if this is good enough to publish? Well, in this case, I shopped it. I I was um, I took it to graduate level writing programs. I've had good and and what I consider reasonable feedback. I can see the work that it would take, and I decided I'd rather mm-hmm. write a different novel. So, ah, and that's just okay. a conscious and good decision, a solid decision. And it wasn't an easy decision because a novel becomes really who you are for a while. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, consider when you read a novel, sometimes you you hang up. I was going to say, you finish the last page and you think, oh, they're not going to be in my life anymore. You know, so-and-so is oh, not going to yeah. call. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, when you write a novel, they're, it, they live in your house with you, you know. <laughs> So, um, yeah. so it becomes a big deal. But I, I, like I said, I felt like I wrote that novel. It taught me how to write novels. I'll probably cannibalize parts of it, but I've seriously decided to try just to just to put it away. And that was only a couple of years ago. Um, and I'm just going to do. But it did prove to me I can write a novel, and that's enough for that for that particular that's, thing. That's success. That's awesome. Yeah. So you've written you've written nonfiction, you've written academic work, you've written a novel, you've written a memoir style book. Um, what for you is your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite genre to work in, and and how would you say they're different? What do you think the the characteristics are of the different genres you've written in? Well, so most memoirs are. Um most memoirs are really like choking down some huge trauma kind of thing. So I don't, I can't write that. Actually, I don't have it in me. This, my memoir is a funny memoir. Um, and I love that. I would say, and my novel is a funny novel. I, I feel that that's where I belong, writing funny. Whether that were TV episodes, um, you know, a novel or, um, or a memoir. For me, it would always be sort of the arch, funny look at human at humankind. You know, mm. um, so th- that's where I think I belong. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, so sex, life, and creativity 
has a casual tone. It's definitely like I write like I talk, but I'm handling serious subjects, so it's not funny at all. But it definitely has that casual, accessible tone that could turn funny if it were a different topic, you know, different subject matter. Yeah. So how do you? So you have this connection with kind of humor. How, how do you know that's right for you? What, what's the? What are some of the signs that people can look for? Because what a lot of people listening to the show, a lot of people I work with, they have three or four ideas for books. They've got an idea for a novel, an idea for a memoir. They want to write a self-help book. They've got an idea for a spiritual book. They're putting together a a deck of cards, like a divination deck. Mm-hmm. So many different projects, <laughs> and I feel like you're a little like that. And I and I don't mean that in like a bad that. way because you get your you get the project done. I mean, you've done um, so well, many say different this. things. People say writer's block, and and everybody thinks of staring at a blank page and it can't come up with the words. I don't know why that's what people think of when they say writer's block. Because to me, to my mind, way more people have the writer's kind of writer's block that you're talking about. Way too many ideas, no um, ability to choose, and mm-hmm. no willingness to focus on one. And if you don't write them one at a time, none of them will be written. Period. Okay, hold on. Everybody, stop and write that down. <laughs> if you don't write them one at a time, none of them will be written going to be the title Seriously. of the blog post about this episode. Uh, <laughs> how did you learn that? Did you have a teacher? Did you? How did you learn that lesson? Because you seem to really live that. So uh, a little bit. Um, so I went, I went and I got my master's in creativity. It, it is the most awesome master's that exists in my personal opinion. <laughs> and one of the main concepts when you took, when you look at creativity from a scientific point of view is that you have to separate divergent thinking from convergent thinking. Divergent is when you come up with 100 ideas, you're diverging, you're all over the place. And convergent is when you're selecting, funneling, you know, getting narrower, right? So there's all sorts of assessments, one of which I actually give in my, in my um, it's called the creative selfie, and I give this assessment that helps you see what kind of thinker you are, divergent or convergent, mm. and then the many sub, uh, subsections of that. Well, here's what I learned about myself. I am convergently challenged. I could could not converge. I was running in a circle because I always had new ideas, and it was really easy to hop to another idea, much easier than, for instance, um, finishing the one I was working on. When something got a little hard, it was really easy for me to just go, this one's important too, I'll do it. Right. So I was convergently challenged. When I learned to converge, and so many people have commented on this to me in the last couple of years, when I learned tools to help me converge and I learned the value of converging, I started stop going in circles and started going in a straight line and doing things sort of one after the other. My energy is enormously different now that I've not only learned to converge but learned the value of converging. Okay, other people listening to this show may be convergently challenged. You mentioned this creative selfie assessment. How, how do we all go do that right now? <laughs> so we can multitask with listening to the podcast. It's at decodingcreativity.com. So decoding, D-E-C-O-D-I-N-G, creativity.com, slash creative selfie. And it's actually three assessments, but there's one in there that's specifically about your style. The other is about your degree of creativity. And it's, those are academic level 
60-year-old scientifically sound assessments so that you come out understanding who you are creatively. It's a really different world when you know. It's like a fish being aware of water. What you take for granted about yourself, yourself, you can suddenly see and go, oh, okay. So that's water. <laughs> I know what to do with that. You know what I'm saying? It's enor- It was enormous for me anyway. And that's why, I, again, this being very reader-oriented, in this case client-oriented, I want people to have this understanding. I care about shifting the minds of talented um, creative people because I want their voice to be elevated. I want them to take up more space in the world. I care about mm. that dialogue elevating because so many of us creative people get activated and get out there. You have yeah. the same wonderful sort of bent in your philosophy. The idea of, of helping vo- writers get out there is a large part of what drives you. I, I mean, tell me where I'm wrong. Well, here's the thing. It's not changing anyone's life in your head. And so, you know, I am a huge fan of imperfect action, and I know how trapped in perfectionism that people get. And so my goal is to get those ideas out there and changing lives as opposed to in your head waiting to be perfect where they can in some future that's never coming change a life. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah. So you have the I same thing, like raising the volume on people who care to make a difference. Yep. In your case, more. Me raising the volume exactly. on people who think really weird. I like just creative people. And I, I just want that. to help that raise that volume, raise their power level in their own lives. Right. So. so what, especially someone who is creative, and I love the idea of people who are listening to the show and maybe have an idea that they feel like is weird or different or other people won't get. Uh, maybe something that they have created or invented that that they really want to get out there, but it's a little different. What's the mm-hmm. advice that you would give to them uh, to get their book done, um, but also really to get through the the thinking about what it is? How do you marry your quirks and your originality and your weirdnesses with an audience? Well, that is, you know, the that is not an easy answer, but it's not a hard answer either. There are ways forward where you can figure out where you have your strengths and your preferences, where you gain energy, and where you kind of lose energy and start complaining or stalling or you were talking about somebody being a perfectionism, perfectionist. That's really never been my problem. I'm in perfect action too. I'm not a perfectionist. However, that is someone's problem. That's where they fall down each time, right? So if they always fall down there, this, these assessments will actually show that, that that's where they fall down, but they always have a place where they shine too. So one of the things you want to do is figure out, A, where you always fall down and might need some tools or collaboration or help, like a coach or something, and mm-hmm. B, where your real genius work is because you're way above average on that, in that territory, Way way yeah. above the, the the mean, and so that means that if you had two projects, and one were in that territory that gives you energy that you have a real brilliance for, and the other was not, my advice would be to choose the one that's within your 
energy field because that's usually where you have something truly unique to offer. So many of us have these ideas that we think, quote-unquote, will sell or, quote-unquote, are, you know, big ideas or important ideas, like because uh, mm, somehow they fit in society in a way that we value instead of our quirky, weird ideas that we think are little or small or whatever. But the misfit with a message is like my gal because <laughs> that person has an important message that they don't get as important. They yeah. probably they don't see... They don't see it everywhere else, so they don't know that that's the message that is really important. So that's why I was talking about these assessments. Sometimes just seeing that this is your territory will help you understand that then, then, and this is your work. This is where yeah. your work is important and valuable. That is so you know? powerful. Julia Roberts is the author of Sex, Lies, and Creativity. She is a creative process expert and coach. You can find her at decodingcreativity.com, decodingcreativity.com, and you can find her creative selfie there as well that we talked about. I hope everybody goes and does that. Find your special magic. Get a copy of Julia's uh, book, which is fantastic. Julia, thank you so much for being our guest today. It was so much fun, Angela. I always love talking to you. I love talking to you too, Julia. Thanks again. Okay, bye-bye. Before we go, one quick message. Uh, This week's episode of Page Up is how to structure a book. Check that out at theauthorincubator.com slash six. And we will meet you back here for Book Journeys next week, Changing the World, One Book at a Time. This has been another episode of Book Journeys Radio, where we're changing the world one book at a time. To find out more about how you can get your book written, published, and promoted, visit www.theauthorincubator.com.